well, in just a moment, we'll have Reverend John Kelly come to bring the Word of God. Most of you know Reverend Kelly by now. He's been with us for a considerable period of time, and uh, we're very thankful to have gotten to know him and the fellowship we've enjoyed with him. He continues to study in GRS with the hope and the desire that uh, by next summer he'll be prepared to uh, launch out into the deep, as it were, and see where the Lord will lead him. But uh, we have this year brought on, uh, had at least put before us like the option of having interns and helping some of our young men in their preparation. And uh, for a number of months, Logan Elder has been with me, and we've been discussing matters together and doing some other work together. And uh, we just recently brought John on as well. So we want to encourage these brothers, helping them, preparing them for the days that lie ahead. So I would encourage your prayers for me as well as I endeavor to pour into these men and help them and encourage them in ways that relate very much practically to the matters of the ministry. It's a new role for me, one of a number of new roles that we have uh, at various times as they arise. But uh, we're looking forward to working with him. And he is here to bring the word of God. And do pray for him, receive the word with meekness. And may the Lord bless our brother and bless you as he preaches here this morning. God bless you. And thank you. It's good to be with you all this morning. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4 this morning. 1 Peter 4, we'll begin reading at verse 12. Let us hear the word of the Lord. 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange... Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of. But on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. But first begin at us. What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him and well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. And we trust God will add His blessing to the reading of His own holy and errant and infallible word. Let's unite our hearts together in prayer this morning. Our gracious Father, we are so thankful for this time that we can come and lift our voices to you in worship. And God, it is our prayer and it is our desire that these songs of praise have ascended up in sweet incense to heaven to thee. And God, you have been satisfied with this sacrifice of praise. But God, now as we come to the preaching of thy word, God, we pray for the anointing of the Spirit God, we pray from 
for that touch from heaven from on high. God, I pray that my preaching and teaching would not be with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that this church's faith would not stand in the wisdom of a man, but in the power of God. God, give the unction of the Spirit to both preacher and listener alike. God, I pray particularly this morning for those outside of Christ. Oh God, I pray that Spirit of the Lord, that you would touch their heart, awaken them out of their slumber, and show them, Lord, their need of Christ before it is too late. The Lord, that they would be in time, as we just sang about. So, Lord, we pray, be with us now through this time as we open thy word. For we ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, it is an undeniable fact that one out of one people will die. It is not a question. It is not a question of if you will die, is a matter of when. When death comes up your window and enters into your house, will you be ready? When you breathe your final breath and you give up the ghost, will you be carried by the angels into paradise? Or will you be forever separated from the Lord, thrust into hell? Will you enjoy the glories and splendor of the Lamb? Or will you be in the regions of the damned, where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth? Today I want us to consider the horrific in the abysmal end of the ungodly. I want you to look with me at our text in verse 17. It is a latter part of that text. And it is the question that is asked at the very end. What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? I want you to think about that this morning. What shall the end be for them that obey not the gospel of God? What lies ahead for the Christ-rejecter, the Christ-hater, to those that turn a deaf ear to the gospel, to those that do not repent, to those that don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what shall be their end? Will the Christ-rejecter simply die and then fade out of existence? Will the Christ-rejecter be thrown into hellfire to be annihilated, to fade out of existence, as it were? Will the Christ rejecter simply go to a place where they will enjoy all the vices that they have enjoyed in this life for all of eternity? Ultimately, it really does not matter what someone's opinion is regarding the Christ rejecter. We must ask the question, what does the errant word of God say regarding the end of the ungodly? There are some things this morning that you and I can afford to be wrong about. You and I can afford to be wrong 
as it regards our view of the second advent of Christ and the events that surround that. We can afford to be wrong about those things. We can afford to be wrong about our polity, about the way that we structure ourselves as churches, be it Presbyterian, Congregational, Episcopal. But there is one thing that you cannot afford to be wrong about this morning, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot afford to be wrong about what the Bible says regarding the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So in light of all this, I want to bring you the message this morning. Count the cost of being lost. Count the cost of being lost. You need to know and you need to count the cost of rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you die in a lost condition, it will cost you for eternity. And you do well to heed the words of our Savior. For what shall it profit a man? He shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. There is a high cost today to being lost. And is that a price you're willing to leave? Is that a price you're willing to pay and leave this building knowing that you are lost and undone in your sin? Look with me again there at our text. What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? There are three things I want you to consider with me as we think about the end of the ungodly. What takes place when a person dies? They're outside of Christ. What is the end of that ungodly person, the Christ rejecter? Well, the first thing, the first end for those that reject the gospel, that obey not the gospel of God, is hell or Hades. You might have that in your Bible. You might stumble along upon that word Hades. But when we speak of Hades, we're not speaking about Greek mythology underworld. We're not speaking about demons over here and fallen angels over here and ungodly people over here and godly people over here and all these various compartments. That's not what we're talking about this morning. When this word, Hades, is used throughout the New Testament, the context, when it is used in the context of the ungodly, it always refers to a place of retribution in judgment. An example you will probably be familiar with because our pastor has been preaching through it on Sunday nights. But I quote from Matthew's account, Matthew 11 and verse 23. And thou Capernaum which art exalted unto heaven shall be brought down, thrust down into hell. Revelation 20 and verse 14. Death in hell were cast into the lake of fire. W.G.T. Shedd had a helpful definition for this place known as Hades. He simply said that it is hell without the body. Hell without the body. Just as the righteous depart and their spirit goes on to be with the Lord, so the wicked depart 
And they go to this place called Hades. As we look at this place called Hades, I want to, you to first notice with me its reality. That I'm not speaking about something that is hypothetical. I'm not speaking this morning about something that is allegorical or theoretical. I'm speaking to you about something that is as real as you and I are here today. Something as real as the nose on your face. This is a real place. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 16. Luke 16. I want you to look with me at verse 22. And this is a familiar passage, no doubt, to many of you. The story of the rich man and the beggar. In Luke 16 and verse 22, we read this, And it came to pass that the beggar died. He was carried or carried away by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. This is a real place. I believe in its reality because the Bible says so. Moses spoke about this place. The prophets spoke about this place. Jesus spoke about this place. John the Baptist spoke about this place. The apostles spoke about this place. The church fathers spoke about this place. And they still speak about this place today. It is just as real as it's always been. But unfortunately today, many deny the reality of this place of conscious torment of the damned. Even so-called Protestants deny its reality. Some simply say, well, preacher, you know, hell is just simply a state of mind. This is what we're in today. All the problems that we're going through today, this is what hell is. Some feel that hell is simply reaping bad karma. You're just reaping from the bad things that you have done. But many times the lost, they try to trivialize, make light of hell simply reducing it to a four-letter cuss word and all their blasphemy and profanity that they speak, they throw this word in. Why? Because they do not believe in its reality. One writer said this, that the use of the word hell lightly may be a half-hearted human attempt to take the concept lightly or to treat it in an amusing way. We tend to joke about things most frightening to us in a futile effort to declaw and defang them, reducing their threatening power. This is what many people do. When they think about this concept of hell, there's one thing that the lost person must understand. They can trivialize hell. They can laugh about hell. You can laugh your way into hell, but you cannot laugh your way out. It is a real place that real people go to that are lost in their sin. Many a minister sadly avoids the topic that our Lord dealt with on so many occasions. This is not a, a text, this is not a subject you normally talk about with great joy. 
But this is a real subject that our Lord dealt with. And almost as it regards all the teaching that we have on hell, the vast majority of it comes from the mouth of the Savior with over 162 references to hell in the New Testament. Over 70 were uttered by the mouth of Christ. He had much to say about this subject. Many a Christian and many a minister have pushed this doctrine to a side room in order to make Christianity more palatable for the lost. But one thing is certain, this is a real place. The scripture gives abundant testimony to its reality. And if you do not know Christ, hell will be a reality. Not only hell's reality, but see secondly with me as it regards this place called Hades, it's Terah. In Luke 16 and verse 23, we read that this rich man that died and was buried, that in hell, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Now, I know that there is much debate about this scripture that we are reading here in Luke 16, whether this is literal or whether this is figurative, and I'm not here to... Uh, solve that for you today. But there are some that will say that these torments are merely symbols. As, and that may be the case, that these are symbols. But many lost people find comfort thinking that these are mere symbols. But if these images are indeed symbols, then we have to conclude if these are mere symbols... We have to conclude that the reality is worse than the symbol actually suggests. One writer said, The function of symbols is to point beyond themselves to a higher and more intense state of actuality than the symbol itself contains. That Jesus used the most awful symbols imaginable to describe hell is no comfort to those who take them simply as symbols. So in, if this is symbolic language and if this is a parable, then it is far worse than what Jesus is describing here. It is far worse. And if you have tried to ease your conscience by saying that there are only symbols and there is no fire, there is no weeping and wailing of gnashing of teeth, it's all symbolic, it's all allegory, and I really don't have to take it seriously. My friend, you have misunderstood what a symbol is. A symbol points to something greater than itself. Something with greater intensity. And if this be the case, it should cause you to tremble. Knowing the reality of what Jesus is saying. As we consider its terror, we look at Luke 16 and verse 24, and here the rich man is in hell having lifted up his eyes and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Here it is a place of fire. Not only a place of fire and torment, but it also is a place where the memory will plague the occupants forever. Look with me there in that same chapter, in verse 25. 
And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Son, remember. It's a place of memory. In Mark 9, 44, 46, and 48, although this is speaking about another place that we will speak about eventually, known as Gehenna, it says that it is a place where the worm dieth not, and the fire is never quenched. Various commentators I have read, they said that this worm is a symbol of the conscience, constantly gnawing upon the individual, reminding them, reminding them the times that they have heard the gospel, the opportunities that they had that they let pass them by. We read in Luke 16, 27 and 28, that these people that are currently in Hades long for someone to tell their family of this horrible and terrifying place. And we see in this passage in Luke 16 that all the senses are functioning. There is sight. He saw Abraham afar off in Luke 16, 23. He saw others tormented. There was taste in Luke 16, 24. He just wanted a drip of water. There was the sound, the hearing the cries of the damned and the weeping and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. There was touch. He was tormented. He could feel the flame. Now there's one thing you must understand about this place, and no doubt you have heard it preached on many of occasion. A minister will stand behind the pulpit and they will say, Hell is hell, because God is not there. Forever separated from God. My friend, hell is hell, because God is there. In His divine wrath and justice, the wrath of God Hear what one writer said, he said, A breath of relief is usually heard when someone declares that hell is simply a symbol of separation from God. To be separated from God for eternity is no great threat to the unrepentant person. The ungodly want nothing more than to be separated from God. Their problem in hell will not be separation from God. It will be the presence of God that will torment them forever. In hell, God will be present in the fullness of His divine wrath. He will be there to exercise His just punishment of the damned, and they will know Him as an all-consuming fire. In Revelation 14, 10 and 11, we read concerning this place that the smoke of their torment ascendeth up into the presence of the Lamb forever and forever. Some of you might be listening to what I have described to you today. You say, preacher, this sure sounds like cruel and unusual punishment. But there's something you must understand. It is impossible for God to be cruel. What is cruelty? Cruelty is inflicting more punishment than is deserved. Cruelty would be totally unjust. But God is incapable of being unjust. The judge of all the earth will do right. 
So not only is hell a reality, but its torments are a reality. And you need to count the cost today. Will you still turn a deaf ear to the gospel in light of the fiery hell that is to come? You say, I don't know if I like this. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade men. Even in hell, a person will not be able to escape the presence of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're slumbering on the brink of woe. I remind you, death is coming. Hell is moving. Will you give your life to Christ today? You don't know what a day might hold forth. What shall the end be for them that obey not the gospel of God? They saw that there is this place called Hades. But secondly, what shall the end be for them that obey not the gospel of God? There is the judgment. Hell, Hades, is not the final end for the Christ rejecter. There is a great tribunal to come. There is a great judgment day coming, which every single one of us that is in this building will stand before God on that day. The only reprieve from hell the lost will ever have, if you can even call it a reprieve, is there being called to this judgment of all men. And who will be that judge on that day? Who will be the personality? Who will be that one that will be judging all men? It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in John 5, 22, that all judgment has been committed unto the Son. We read in Acts 10, 42, that this Son of Man is the judge of both quick and dead, both the living and the dead. He will be the judge on that day. And what will his character be like when he comes back to judge all the world? Well, we read in Matthew 25, in verse 31, that he will come in mighty glory, and he will sit upon the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him. All mankind gathered before him on that final day. And as all men are gathered before him, he there stands, as we read of in Revelation 1, 12 through 18, the one whose eyes are as a flame of fire, his feet like burnished brass, and his voice like the sound of many waters. When Jesus comes to judge, he no longer is gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child, but now it is the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. We see the person that will judge, the personality, but also the certainty of this judgment. In Acts 17 31, the Bible tells us that He hath appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained. There is an appointment, there is a judgment day out yonder that is fixed in the mind of God. That last day 
that John spoke about in John 6, that last day when the Lord Jesus will return and He will resurrect both righteous and wicked and then He will judge all mankind. It is a certain and fixed day and is an appointment that none shall miss or be late for. We read about this judgment. Turn with me in the book of Revelation. Turn with me to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Look in verse 11. Revelation 20 and verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged. And of those things which were written in the books, according to their works, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death in hell, Hades, delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death in hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Here we read of this judgment. We read about those that will be there, that will be judged on, those, on that day. And those whose names are not found are written. And the Lamb's book of life. We read that they will be cast into the lake of fire. We read that these people are judged by the books and by their works. So we see the personality. It is the Lord that will be judging. It is a certainty. The Lord has told us of it in His Word. He has fixed that day. He's even told us what would happen on that day here in Revelation 20. But that judgment will also be done in perfect equity. All the ungodly will be judged fairly on that day. There will be none that will be judged unfairly. The judge will judge by the books and by their works. And the sinner will will receive exactly what they deserve. They will receive justice on that day. There is a real judgment by a real judge coming. And if you arrive at that judgment, having come from hell, you will come naked, destitute, and guilty. And you will stand before the one whose eyes are as a flame of fire. There will be nowhere to hide on that final day of judgment. The worst of all, your name will not be found written in the Lamb's book of life. You will not be permitted access into the glory of our Lord. And as it regards this judgment, there is no court of appeals. The verdict is final on that day. My friend, you must count the cost. You must count the cost. Are you willing to leave this place dead in your sin, knowing that hell is awaiting and that judgment day is coming and you will stand naked and undone? Is that something you are willing to do this day? This is the cost of rejecting the gospel This is the cost of spurning 
the Son of God. What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? There is hell, Hades. There is the judgment. But last of all, we read about it here in Revelation 20, there is the lake of fire. Jesus spoke of this place in Mark's gospel, chapter 8. He made reference and he said, It would be far better for you to pluck out one of your eyes or to cut off one of your hands than to be cast into Gehenna fire. This is the final end. This is where the ungodly will spend eternity. This word Gehenna that is used in the New Testament, and you might find it sometimes in your margin. But it comes from the Hebrew Gehinnom, and it means the Valley of Hinnom. One writer said this, as it regards the Valley of Hinnom, it was a refuse dump for Jerusalem, a place of perpetual fire, where bodies of executed criminals were burned. It is a fit word to be used in a spiritual sense to describe hell, the place of never-ending punishment. Gehenna is everlasting hell with unquenchable fire where body and soul are united and endure conscious suffering and torment forever. Hades is hell without the body. Shed said that Gehenna is hell with body and soul forever. Look with me there in Revelation 20, verse 14. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Those who were found wanting in the day of judgment will be cast. And this word for cast has the idea of of throwing and hurling with great force into this lake of fire. And who will it be that casts them into that fire? Well, in the mysteries of the kingdom, we have in Matthew 13, 41 and 42, a reference to the angels gathering up the wicked and throwing them into a furnace of fire. This is the final end of those that do not obey the gospel of God. They will abide where the devil, the antichrist, the false prophet, and the fallen angels are. The place that Christ said was prepared for the devil and his angels, lost man will have his part. The lake of fire and judgment is forever. There is no annihilation of the sinner. On that day of judgment that we read of here in Revelation 20, and they are cast into the lake of fire, they do not fade out of existence. It is eternal and everlasting punishment, just as the righteous will enjoy the glories of heaven while the ages roll forever and ever around the throne of the Lamb, saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. There will be those that are not in the glories above, but are in that place called the lake of fire forever and ever. 
Matthew 25, 46, Jesus said it is a place of everlasting punishment. Everlasting. You that are a believer, you're in possession of everlasting life. But they are in possession of everlasting death. Forever separated from God. Jonathan Edwards said, Wicked men will hereafter earnestly wish to be turned to nothing and forever cease to be, may escape the wrath of God. I don't know if you can fully fathom it this morning. My friend, you need to count the cost. There is a high cost to being lost. And the final end of the Christ rejecter is dwelling in the presence of God's eternal wrath. And I ask you, will that be your end? But I have good news for you. It does not have to be your end. The places that I have spoken about today, it does not have to be your end. Why? Because today is the day of salvation. Today, there is mercy in the Lamb. Today, there is grace in the Lamb. Today, there is pardon for your sin in the Lamb. And today, the very gates of heaven are swung open to you. And Jesus stands over on the other side and He extends His hand to you and He says, Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He calls out to you today to turn from your sin. Repent and believe the gospel. And these gates are swung open to whosoever will believe this message this morning. You can cast yourself today at the feet of a Savior who longs to forgive you from your, for your sin. There is mercy to be found in Him. You can call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. The only way to flee the wrath to come is to flee to the one who has absorbed all the wrath of God due your sin in his own body on the tree, to flee to Christ. You say, preacher, I've been in a church like this for a long time. And, it, and I just can't fathom the idea. I just can't fathom the idea of admitting that I'm lost. Everyone thinks I'm saved. You do well to lay down your pride, to lay down your arms of rebellion. If you are not sure, you can leave here. Talk to someone. You can leave here having come on the broad way. You can leave on the narrow way. You can leave here having, having been in Adam. You can leave here in Christ. You can come here having this burden and the weight of the sin of yourself upon you can leave you free in Christ. Lay down your arms of rebellion and come to Christ who is mighty to save. Jesus' ear is not deaf. His hand is not shortened that he cannot redeem. The cost is too great to die without Christ. Come to him today.
Come to Him now. The devil will whisper in your ear and say, Tomorrow. You believe on Jesus tomorrow. Tomorrow is the devil's day. Today is God's day. You believe on Him this moment. You might say, well, preacher, I'm a great sinner. Christ will not receive me. I have good news for you today. Christ receiveth sinful men. Sing it o'er and o'er again. Christ receiveth sinful men. You say, well, preacher, what do I have to do? The Bible says simply this, Romans 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's the gospel message. Jesus wants you to come. And if you come to him, he will not cast you out. So today, I encourage you to leave here with the knowledge of Christ as your Savior. You can leave here, leave this place knowing that you will land in heaven, not land in hell. May God bless His Word. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for the Word of the Lord today. God, how sober it is at times to our own souls. And God, I pray... Lord, I pray that if there be anyone here that is lost, Spirit of the living God, bring conviction to their heart. God, might you have awakened them from their slumbering state to realize that the hereafter is not a party for it forever, but is eternal torment, conscious torment, the just wrath of God upon them. God, might they understand their end. God, I pray for us that are converted by thy grace. God, how so often we need to hear about these things. To be renewed, God, in our zeal to reach lost sinners, knowing that there still is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. So God, we pray, take this message, drive it deep into our hearts, into our minds. We pray as we depart this place, Lord, allow the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart to be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. God, we ask all these things in Christ Jesus' precious name. Amen.